there. Welcome to another life-transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwit Achero. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 8 so we can get the context of this story. Paul writes and says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? He's telling them, I mean, when you guys have a disagreement, instead of sitting down with other saints, you go to the unrighteous so they can settle your disputes. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? It's just trying to show them that their level of judgment is so high as a church that they should be able to handle small disputes within the church. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? These are sinners. Then verse 5, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is, no, there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Verse 7, now therefore it is already an utter failure. For you that you go to law against one another, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why don't you become humble? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No. Some would say no. Paul is trying to say to them, what I'm seeing in the church, I, I, don't, I don't agree with it. He says no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. I will stop there. Now, I want to share with you on the subject conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. Now, where there is a group of people, people working or living or staying together, there will always be conflicts. I remember when I was single, I didn't have to sit down and solve problems in my house because I was the alpha and omega in that house. I was the one doing everything. I put the music I like. I put the volume I like. I eat what I want. I wear what I want. I sleep what time I want. I wake up what time I want. I mean, when you're alone, there are no conflicts. But the moment people come into your life, you're working with them, you're living with them, you're staying with them, conflicts are bound to arise. We have conflicts in families because 
These are brothers and sisters living together, but once in a while, they don't really, they don't really agree. The parents don't agree with the decisions of the children. The children don't agree with the decisions of the parents, and sometimes there can be a conflict. A place of work where you're working with other colleagues, you are under supervisor, and you have other people you're working with, can also be grounds for conflict. You come and find somebody has overlapped his mandate, overstepped his mandate. You find somebody has sat on your desk and he's doing what you're supposed to be doing. So it can be a cause of conflict. Where people are working together, staying together, or living together, conflicts are bound to happen. When you look at even some of these soccer teams, you can see that sometimes when they are playing, there is a conflict. A guy is on this corner with a ball and he's trying to score. And the, 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 the angle for scoring or the chances for scoring are so minimal. And his, his, his fellow team player, he's in the box looking at the net and he has a better chance to score. But this guy, because he is greedy, he fires the shot, but because the angle is very narrow, he doesn't score. And you can see that the guy who was supposed to be given the ball to score, he's mad. He's angry. And even the coach is angry. And sometimes the coach does not even waste time. He, try, he, he removes that guy from the pitch. He substitutes him. So where there is a team, people are working together, where there's a place of work or living with people in your house, conflicts are bound to happen. And let me hasten to say this, that even in the church, conflicts are bound to happen. Because we are working together, we are praying together, we are worshiping together, we are meeting together, we are serving God together. And so conflicts are, even, um, uh, are bound to happen even in, in the church. Because the church is not full of angels, the church is full of human beings. You and I, we have our own flaws and rough edges. And some, once in a while, you know, those rough edges come to the fore. Amen. So look at the neighbor and tell them you are in the right place. Where you need to understand conflict resolution. Apostle Paul, from the few verses that we have read, he has dealt with sexual immorality and he's done. But as we continue reading, you, feel, you realize again he comes back. And he mentions it, then he continues talking about what he's talking about. When you move to chapter 7, he's talking about marriage. And he tries to draw a clear line of demarcation for, for, for the Corinthians to understand what marriage is all about. But here, he now deals with an issue, and this is the conflict that was taking place in the church, disputes that were in the church, and he was a bit concerned because the church didn't have internal mechanisms for dealing with conflict. There were no structures within the Corinthian church or the church at Corinth to be able to deal with what Paul calls small matters, little matters. I mean, everything was being taken to, to the court. Every small disagreement was being taken to the court. People were filing, you know, lawsuits every now and then, even on very, very small matters that require sitting down with other saints and resolving amicably. So he was concerned why they were rushing to the heathen courts, you know, to solve all 
their problems. Every little matter was taken to the public court. Every small dispute was taken to the public court. And Paul expected that some of those things uh, to be dealt with within the confines of the church. Look at what he says in verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? I mean, you came back to your seat and found that somebody has sat on your seat. You take them to court. You give a brother your pen to write notes. He refuses to bring it back. You take that brother to court. Small matters. They were going to the court. You know, a slight disagreement. You know, you are served with papers that you are supposed to appear in court and answer to the charges. And Paul was a bit concerned about this because he expected at this particular point that this church has grown and it has developed internal structures to be able to handle disputes and conflicts. You know, there's a religion that they have their own courts. They handle their own stuff. I wish the church can come to that level where we can handle our own stuff. You see, the reason why Paul was concerned is because, you know, the church was being exposed. The church was washing her dirty linens in the public. Look at verse 3 to 6. He says, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? The whole church, there was nobody who was wise. Not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. You are taking your pastor to an unbeliever to go and accuse him. You take your leader to an unbeliever to go and accuse him. You take your sister to someone who doesn't believe in God and tell them, this guy who claims to be born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, I see her every Tuesday praying and she's vibrating like a generator, but she owes me 10 shillings. And you take that person to an, a, a, an unbeliever so that the non-believer can be able to resolve your case. Now, Paul was concerned because he realized that the Christians were losing credibility and the power to go out and witness to the lost. Because if you go to unbelievers and we share our problems, how are we going to witness to them? How are we going to tell them that Jesus saves? How, how are we going to tell them that if you come to Jesus, he will roll your burdens away? In fact, those people would be afraid of the church, isn't it? Because they will say, if, 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 if that is where problems emanate from, then I don't want to go there. This is what was happening in the church at Corinth. They were running to unbelievers to go and resolve their issues. So, heathens became like judges who were, you know, trying to find uh, solutions to the problems that were in the church at Corinth. 
Somebody say mercy. So he told them, stop exposing yourselves. Some of these small matters, you can be able to deal with them. Can I hear an amen? Some of these small, small issues, you can be able to deal with them at the CMG level. Hallelujah. Yes, you can deal with them at the department level. You can deal with them by bringing them to the office if it has overwhelmed those different structures that we have in the church. And that's why I believe in small groups. I believe in departments because some of these things don't even have to come to where I am. They can be resolved at that level. Can I hear an amen? amen. You're very quiet tonight. It's like you came for war. Uh, are you okay? Ask your neighbor, are you okay? Ask them, are you in conflict with someone or what? Yeah. So those different levels are very, very important. Those internal structures. Paul was trying to push the, Corinth, uh, the church at Corinth to develop internal mechanisms for conflict resolutions. He was challenging them, telling them some small matters, you don't have to go to court. Sit down and talk about them. Some issues, you don't have to go to court and consult unbelievers. Sit down and deal with it. Develop internal structures to resolve your conflicts. Come up with internal mechanisms. You know, get people who are mature and sit down with them so that they can be able to solve your problems. Now, there are three things here that Paul mentions. There are three things that he recommends when it comes to conflict resolution. And that is chapter, sorry, that is verse 5 to verse 7. These three form the structure of the church's internal mechanism for conflict resolution. Let's read again verse 5 to 7 and see what Paul is saying here. He says, I say this to your shame. I pray we shall not be ashamed. I say I pray that we shall not be ashamed washing our dirty linens out there. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you. Someone say a wise man. Not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren. Verse 6. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Verse 7. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do, you, why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? So there are three things here that he recommends from these two verses that I want to drop to you and then we are going to pray. Now these three will form the internal mechanism for, or the church's internal mechanism for conflict resolution. Can I get an amen? amen? Number one is wisdom. Number one is wisdom. Paul is asking, is there not a wise man? Is there not a man that is a reservoir of wisdom in the church? Is not there a man that possesses wisdom? When he speaks, wisdom oozes out of their mouth. And let me ask, is there a wise man in this congregation today? 
Is there a wise man in this church today? Tell your neighbor, we shall know. You see, one that is wise or one that is full of wisdom has the ability to resolve conflicts. Now, a wise man will do the following. A wise man, number one, knows how to speak. A wise man knows how to speak. He chooses his words carefully because he doesn't want to further inflame the tension that is already experienced, experienced in the situation. So he chooses his words carefully. He doesn't want to aggravate the situation. Already there is a problem. Already people are not agreeing with each other. There is a disagreement between two people. And so he chooses his words very carefully to try and see if he can help resolve the impasse. Tell your neighbor, that's a wise man. So ask them, do you know how to speak? <laughs> Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, the Bible says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. So not every word is fitly spoken. But a word that is fitly spoken is like apples of gold in the setting of silver. You know, gold is more precious than silver. Gold is striking more than silver. Gold is more valuable more than silver. In fact, when you put gold in the background of silver, gold will stick out. So a wise man has fitly, or he speaks fitly words, for lack of a better word. You know, he can speak um, words, he can choose his words very carefully in a conflict. And he will use the right words that will sound like gold, which will diffuse the tension, which will help, you know, find a solution to any small matter that two people are having a challenge in. And so we must pray that we may have the wisdom to speak. Because how you speak is also very important. In a conflict, how you speak is important. If you don't choose your words correctly, you will make the matters worse. Am I saying the truth or not? That's why Paul was asking, is there not a wise man in that congregation? A man who knows how to speak. A man who can choose his words carefully, bring two people together, make them sit down, and go to the root of the problem and resolve it. And the second part says that this man, he's, he can rebuke, but because he's wise, he's able to rebuke in a wise manner so that the other person can have an obedient ear, listen to the rebuke and comply with it. He can be tough, but in a wise way. He can rebuke, but in a wise way. And his rebuke will be received, you know, with the persons that are involved in a conflict and the conflict is going to be resolved. Praise the Lord. I pray that God will give you the ability to speak, especially in a conflict. You will know how to speak in Jesus' name. Still, this wise man, he knows when to speak. He knows when 
to speak. This is the kind of man Paul was looking for in this church. A wise man is asking, is there not a wise man in this congregation? A wise man is one who knows when to speak. You see, when there is a conflict, emotions run wild, isn't it? Everybody is on top. Everybody is trying to make his point. There are bitter exchanges. The volume has been increased. And everybody is screaming at the top of their lungs. You wait. In fact, I want to tell you something. The other say, no, 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 no. Before you speak, I also want to speak. Say, no, no, no. Before you speak, I also want to speak. And so words are being thrown from one end to another. And the volume has increased. And then when you look at the faces, you can see that the veins are popping out. You look at the neck, you see the vein. You know the main vein on the neck here is popping out. Some of them even start sweating. Some of them, you can see that their eyes turn red. But those people I'm talking about, they are not in this service. Yeah, they didn't come today. And everybody is up there, they are talking. And some are grabbing things, they are almost throwing at the other. And, you know, and some are even using some very, um, some very vulgar words to try and bring the other person down. Now, at that particular moment, it can be very, very difficult to speak. A wise man knows when to speak. A wise man knows when to speak. When the wiring parties are up there, a wise man knows that even if I try and speak, nothing will work. He has to wait until they come down. You know, you can't shout the whole day. Hmm? If you can shout the whole day, then you are, you are gifted. You are, you are really anointed. You should become an evangelist. But let me tell you, you can't shout the whole day. You cannot abuse somebody the whole day. At some point, you will ask for water. Isn't it true? At some point, you will be hungry. You will look for food to eat. Isn't it? Or even at some point, you realize that whatever you wanted to say, you have already said it. And there is nothing else to say. And so you find yourself coming down. A wise man knows that that window of opportunity is going to present itself. And when it presents itself, he will step into that window of opportunity and maximize on it. Can I get an amen? amen. Even being angry, you can't be angry for one year. Talk to me, somebody. You can try one day, two days, three days, Four days, five days, a week, you realize, hey, people are laughing. You cannot laugh. You realize people are talking, you, you are not able to talk. You are even more stressed. You are sad. You are mad. And then you decide just to cool down. So you can't be up there forever. At some point, you have to come down. And a wise man knows that that opportunity is going to show up. And you will step into that opportunity. Amen. Ask your neighbor for me, have you come down? Oh, you're still up there. I hope you have come down. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27 to 28. He who has knowledge spares his words. He knows which words to use. These are the men we need in the church. People who can spare their words. Hallelujah. People who don't just say, I will give you a piece of my mind. No, people who can spare they, are what? they feel like using some words, but they decide, I will not use those words. Can I, can I have a witness in the house? 
Yeah, they feel like they need to throw a word at somebody, heavy word, a word that will just tear that person into pieces. Ah, but they decide, I will spare my words. The Bible says, he who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Hmm? A man of understanding is of a calm spirit. He knows how to cool down. He knows how to relax. He knows when to speak. Can I get an amen? amen. Look at the next verse. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Yes. In a conflict, if you're a fool, I want to give you advice. Keep quiet. People will think you're very wise. Amen. Because sometimes when emotions run wild, or when you are really worked up, sometimes the mouth does not coordinate with the brain. Have you ever said something and you go like, oops, did I say that? They even tell you, you said this, hey, it was not me. But you actually said it. It's because when you're really, really worked up, your mind and your mouth, they are not coordinating. Yeah, and you will deny many things that you said, yet you say them. So a wise man knows when to speak. He who has knowledge spares his words. Hallelujah. Husbands, spare your words. Wives, spare your words. Hallelujah. COT members, spare your words. We know you have a vocabulary. We know you have words. But spare us. Turn to your neighbor tell them, please spare me. Even if I get into your nerves, please spare me. Hallelujah. Because somebody can abuse you, can abuse your mother, can abuse your father, can abuse your grandfather, can abuse your grandmother, can go even to the ancestors, way back into the ancestors and begin to abuse them one by one by one, then he gets to your children, tears them apart, including the ones you have not given birth to. And then he tells you, I am not even done. I have just started. Generational insult. Look at your neighbor and tell them, please, spare your words. Even if I step on your toe, please, spare your words. You don't have to compare me with my mother. You don't have to compare me with my father. I am me. Please, spare your words. Hallelujah. You don't even have to mention my head. I know it is big. Yeah. Don't stress the obvious. Spare. Touch your neighbor one more time. Tell them, please, spare your word. Spare your word. He knows when. A wise man knows when to speak. He that is full of understanding is of a calm spirit. Hallelujah. Number C, we are still talking about wisdom. I hope I'll finish. This man that Paul is looking for in the church at Corinth to resolve conflict so that people don't have to go to court. People don't have to go to the Supreme Court. He knows how to speak, number one. He knows when to speak. And number three, he knows what to speak. 
He knows what to speak. Hmm? He knows what to speak. There is a way he plays around with words that diffuses tension. There's a way he speaks. When people are up, when he opens his mouth, it's like a tire that has lost pressure. He has a way of diffusing people, people's tension and anger. He has a way of pacifying people's anger and just bringing them down. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, as a couple, you can go to the office to see a pastor. Yeah? And even as you're going, you are even threatening each other. Today you will see what I will say about you. And the other one is also saying, today you will see what I'll say about you. And you're exchanging words, you're exchanging words. You get to the reception, you're not talking to each other. One is facing the other side, the other one is facing the other side. Then you get to the office. The first thing the pastor tells you is, hey, wow, you guys look amazing. <laughs> Before you even talk, you start prophesying. I see the favor of God upon your life. <laughs> then you realize whatever you are planning to say, ah, you don't want to spoil this prophecy. This prophecy is, is, is very powerful. Who doesn't want favor? Everybody wants favor, isn't it? All of a sudden, you came for war, but you realize, I, I have to go slow lest I spoil the mood in there. Then after that, then the pastor says, okay, so uh, what, what, what brought you to my office today? Then the answer and say, you know, pastor, what brought us is something, we have realized it's something very small <laughs> and, and we think we can resolve it at home. <laughs> Are we together, somebody? This wise man, that Paul was looking for was not in this church. A man who knows what to say, what to speak. Hallelujah. Amen. May God grant you that wisdom that you may know what to say. Hallelujah. When there is tension, when there is a conflict, may you know what to say in the name of Jesus. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 to 2, King James Version says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth, poureth out foolishness. Maybe I'll just give you number one, and then tomorrow we'll continue with number two and three. A soft answer. Give me King James. Let's read it. King James. Proverbs 15. Let's read together. A soft answer. Do you know what a soft answer is? Tell your neighbor it has to be very soft. A soft answer. Turns away wrath. If somebody came, his voice is up there. Then you answer softly. You diffuse them. Turns away wrath, but grievous words will do what? Will stop anger. Grievous words are hurtful words. Look at verse 2. The tongue 
of the wise, useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. So the wise man knows what to speak. Hallelujah. You see, this tells me something about somebody who is wise. Who is wise. He's really in control of his emotions. Because for many of us, it is our emotions that make us say the things we say. And then when our emotions cool down, we regret what we said. Isn't it true? Yeah. Some of you have even made some very foolish statements before God. God! <laughs> if I sin again, kill me. And God is looking at you and saying, you're just emotional. Yeah, you're just emotional. When your emotions come down, you realize what you said is very serious. And you have to ask God to, please, God, don't take it seriously. I was joking. I was not serious. Isn't it true? Yeah, when your emotions are really worked up, you find that you will say some things that you're not supposed to say. When you're in conflict, you will say some things you're not supposed to say if you're not in control of your emotions. Bible says the tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright. Amen. The tongue of the wise. Hallelujah. The tongue of the wise. I wish I had time to talk about the tongue. Where James is talking about how deadly the tongue is. Yeah, the tongue is deadly. Without the tongue, there is no marriage. It's true. Yeah. Sam, you used your tongue to convince your wife to become your wife. Pastor Zev, you were married recently. Did you use your tongue? What are some of the things you said? <laughs> we can start a family. Uh, <laughs> go deeper. Uh, I love you. I don't think he said it like this. I love you. Say the way you said it. I love you. <laughs> it's the tongue. It's the tongue. For you to get the job you got, you used your tongue. Isn't it true? Oh, yes. Look at the wars that we see in the world. It's the tongue. Is this the tongue? The tongue is deadly. The tongue is something else. That's what the Bible says here. The tongue of the wise. He knows how to control the tongue. Because when the tongue is worked out, the tongue wants to unleash words. Say so many things and bad things. But because this person is wise, he's able to control his tongue. Instead of using the tongue to be able to inflame the situation. He uses the tongue to be able to diffuse the tension in the situation. He knows what to say. Hallelujah. He knows what to say. Glory to God. He knows what to say. And you realize sometimes when there's a conflict, if you choose positive words, you resolve the conflict quickly. Hallelujah. Yes. That's why sometimes when you have um, 
you have a problem with your brother or your sister, I will advise sometimes when you're sitting down to, con to, 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 to reconcile, begin on a positive note. Yeah. Begin on a positive But you see now it takes wisdom to begin on a positive note. But you see your emotions are telling you begin on the negative note. Remind that person five years ago, ten years ago, even last week, and you are quiet. That's what emotions are telling you to do. But if you're wise, you begin on a, a very positive note. You say, my sister, my brother, one of the things I am grateful God, to God for is for God to connect me and you in this church. I mean, since you came into my life, you've been such a blessing. I even like the way we serve together in this department. You know, you even joined the department before me. And when I came, you are really, you are, you are among the people that made me really fit in in this department. And the guy is listening, wow. Then you say, but I have just a small issue that I feel we, we need to resolve because it is disturbing me. That person will listen to you. But if you begin and say, you know, the, the day I joined the department, I knew, I knew you will hate me. I knew you don't like me. I knew I could see it in your eyes. And now it has manifested itself. Whatever is in a man's heart will always come out. My friend. That person will say, you mean you are judging me? You mean you are judging me? <laughs> and then you realize that something that was very small is blown out of proportion. And this person will stop seeing you the way he used to see you. Yeah. Because already you have messed up with their perception about you. You understand? So tell your neighbor, know what to speak. Know what to say. Yes. 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 Look, look at verse 1 of Proverbs. Know what to say. A soft Go, go back to verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words, grievous words, heartful words, will stir up what? Will stir up anger. I pray that COT will be full of wise men and wise women in the name of Jesus. We'll resolve our conflicts amicably. We'll have very strong internal structures to deal with conflicts that may arise as we work together. Can I get an amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazutechero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.